I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. One year ago, in January 2022, we began to tell you a mystery story. It was about a baffling plague in New Brunswick. People, young people, stricken out of the blue with a degenerative neurological sickness that left them unable to walk, unable to read, unable to feed themselves, and hallucinating. I can't read, which is a shame because I love to read. I can't move, which is a shame because I was very active before. It all started in 2015 with one patient experiencing odd, unexplained neurological symptoms. By 2019, there were 12 more people from Eastern New Brunswick with these symptoms. The next year, 25 more cases. And then in 2021, another 10. Two minutes before and I could not figure out how to make the letter Q like it was like another language. So I tried my best and I did like a circle with just a line on the top, like it looked like an apple. So that was my red flag where I was like, okay, like this is not normal. So I She couldn't talk, couldn't walk, couldn't eat. She passed away one day before Mother's Day. I didn't realize I was losing the muscles, muscle atrophy. In March, 2021, Radio Canada published the first news report about this cluster of patients all suffering from similar unexplained symptoms. They'd gotten a hold of a confidential internal memo sent to doctors in New Brunswick confirming that a cluster of 42 patients was being investigated and that the origin of their disease was unknown. The idea was floated that a novel disease had been discovered in New Brunswick, something nobody had ever seen before. This is what the province's chief medical officer, Jennifer Russell, had to say about it in March 2021. So it most likely is a new disease. There, we, we haven't seen this anywhere else. Um, and so we're, it is of unknown etiology, but the symptoms are very much like uh, CJD disease. The total number of cases in the cluster at that point had grown to 48. 46 of them were referred to and diagnosed by a neurologist in Moncton, Dr. Alier Marrero. 
Marrero was part of a team of doctors and other scientists and public health officials who had been assembled to investigate together this mysterious illness. We are testing the environmental sources uh, related to these populations and each one of the patients, their past history, travel history, professional history, exposures, water sources, food sources, etc. So it is a large investigation that would require a lot of effort, but we're collectively doing that with the help of Public Health Ottawa and New Brunswick and many expert teams. Public health officials were adamant that they were searching high and low for the origins of this disease cluster. Marrero said that while the scientists didn't know what the genesis of the disease was, he believed that it was caused by something in the environment, that it was, quote, acquired from exposure to something in the environment, either food, water, or toxins. One leading theory was that the source was an environmental toxin, which is linked to blue-green algae. BMAA has a tendency to build up in fish and shellfish, like lobster and crab. And blue-green algae has been a known scourge to the Atlantic provinces for years, signaled by periodic beach closures all across the region throughout the summer. Here's where things might get political, because even the suggestion that New Brunswick's fisheries might be linked to deadly toxins Well, that could have huge economic consequences on the province. The fisheries are a $1.3 billion industry in New Brunswick, employing about 29,000 people. Nevertheless, officials promised the public that they would leave no stone unturned in hunting down the cause of the disease. But then, everything suddenly changed. Nine people in the cluster had died, and the Federal Public Health Agency sent their remains, eight of them, for autopsies, all of which were conducted by the same neuropathologist, Gerard Jansen. He said that they had been misdiagnosed. This is what he said to CTV. Five have what we call a dementia. Then we have a patient who has a brain tumor. We have a patient who has vascular dementia. And then there is a patient who has a a different disease in the sense that there are no pathological abnormalities to that disease. Jansen single-handedly called into question whether or not this cluster of cases was anything mysterious at all. He called into question whether or not this was in fact a cluster, whether these cases had anything at all to do with each other. Now that was in direct contradiction to everything that the public had heard from all of the other researchers who had been working on this up till that point. Provincial officials in New Brunswick began walking back the idea that there was anything connecting these different patients. They released a report which was based on phone surveys with the patients. Here's what Provincial Medical Officer Arafur Rahman said. We have concluded there is an overarching theme to these findings which is if a particular food exposure, such as lobster or blueberries or venison was to blame, there would have been people with similar symptoms in other parts of the province or in the neighboring provinces or in Maine, where all these foods are common. This hasn't happened. And based on the findings of this report, There are no specific behaviors, foods, or environmental exposures that can be identified as risk factors with regards to the potential syndrome of unknown cause. The government ruled out any food source as a cause for the disease, despite the fact that 31 of the 34 patients answered yes, they had eaten fresh or frozen lobster before the onset of symptoms. But New Brunswick did not just stop looking at shellfish as a possible culprit. They stopped looking for a culprit entirely. Plans to do environmental testing were scrapped. The team of doctors and scientists investigating the cluster was quietly disbanded. The province of New Brunswick turned away help and money from the federal government. They took the case in-house, to their own oversight committee. 
which released their own report last February. Their conclusion? There never was a mystery illness to begin with. Once that made headlines, the story pretty much died, and you probably have not heard much about this since. But we here at Canada Land have. Reporter Sarah Larniuk obtained thousands of pages of internal communication from inside the medical task force that initially investigated the cluster before the province shut that task force down. And she is going to tell you what those documents reveal in a moment. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Jacob Lutz, Abom Bonzi Simpson, Jerome Evola, Everett Cahu, Jeremy Einhorn, Aurora Boren, Justin Ketterer, and Lauren. Hi, my name is Lauren Simmons. I'm a teacher, union activist, and runner living in Toronto. I support Canada Land because the shows have kept me company through many kilometers of marathon training, and because I use shows like Thunder Bay in my teaching to help students know best practices for podcasting and for storytelling and to help them hear perspectives beyond their own. I'm grateful to everyone at Canada Land who works to keep Jesse in check. Thanks. Hey, I want to let you know about a new benefit for our paying subscribers. It's an exclusive newsletter just for our supporters called Duly Noted, and it's pretty terrific. Um, it's behind-the-scenes stuff from our team, recommendations, exclusive insights, also first access to new merchandise, uh, tickets to live events, outreach and conversations with the people who support Canada Land. This is a great perk amongst a lot of great perks. And if you want to get it, you can become a supporter at canadaland.com slash join or click on the link in your show notes. Sarah, did the government lie to the public about this? Yeah, they did. They lied. They misled the public. There are multiple examples of where they did this, but we can just go to one example to really kind of paint the picture because on June 3rd, New Brunswick's health minister, Dorothy Shepard, was asked point blank by a reporter in a press conference, are any environmental factors under investigation? Shepard said no. No, I think it's really important to keep in mind that we can't have a narrow focus here. We must examine any and all possibilities. And as those possibilities evolve, you know, we'll certainly share them with you. But the fact is, is that the reason that we are going to such lengths is that we need to allow the science to do their investigation and their work. And by focusing on any one element could just take us in the wrong direction. I understand the whole idea behind not wanting to cause a public health crisis or a public health panic. But the idea that she would actually say that, no, we are not narrowing our focus, when in fact thousands of emails from researchers both at the provincial and federal level show that they had narrowed their focus. They did have ideas about what was causing this, and they were environmental factors principally linked to food and water. I guess that's pretty straightforward. You're asked a question, are you investigating environmental factors? And you say no, when in fact they are investigating environmental factors. Um, yeah, that, that, that sounds a lot like a lie. Mm -hmm. And she lied in other ways as well. A reporter asked Minister Shepard in that same press conference if there were more cases beyond the 48 that were originally identified in this cluster. And she said, quote, it's my understanding that at this time we do not have any additional cases. That wasn't true either. The Federal Public Health Agency of Canada was counting the case number at 50. There are other emails that I saw that were batting around higher numbers already at that point. She also said that no other patients had been identified as of that June 3rd press conference outside of the province, but we know that wasn't true either. For sure, she knew that there were patients identified in Nova Scotia and Quebec, Later, we know that they identified patients also in PEI, Ontario, Alberta, and one Canadian actually living in Australia now. It's unclear if those further developments were known to her on June 3rd, but it is for sure that they knew about patients in Nova Scotia and Quebec, and that makes this a multi-jurisdictional investigation, and she lied. She said she didn't know about that. Okay, so those are the lies. You also said that the government misled the public. How so? There was a sleight of hand here as far as to what the question being asked and answered was. 
So we aired our story originally in January 2022. And then a month later, the New Brunswick provincial government came out with a report that said there was no mystery neurological illness in the province. That was the headline. That was the main conclusion of the report that the province put out. However, that wasn't really the question being asked or answered by researchers at the provincial or federal level. Because what they said was, there's no mystery disease. But most researchers were actually concerned more about what was causing symptoms that they couldn't explain. No one ever said that it was a mystery disease. There was a potential that there was a new disease being observed, but that wasn't really the question. They were looking at environmental toxins to find out what it was that was making people sick. And as we explored in that original story, some of the leaked theories that were coming out of this investigation did indicate that like a single toxin could precipitate multiple diseases. You know, five people can get sick from one thing and each one of them can develop a different known disease. So the question about whether or not there is a mystery illness might have been the wrong one to ask. I see what you mean, because when I read that CBC story about the report, I read it as like, there's nothing to see here. All of these people have different illnesses. You know, it might have looked like it's a strange coincidence that 48 people have uh, these really serious diseases, but we have got to the bottom of it and they're all different diseases. So it is just a coincidence. Mm -hmm. What you're saying is just because they don't have some whole new original disease that nobody's ever heard of before doesn't mean that there is not a connection between their diseases, that they could all have been exposed to the same toxin and then developed different illnesses from that core common toxin. Exactly. And that was what the media glommed onto. And why wouldn't we have glommed onto that? That's what the chief medical officer, Jennifer Russell, said in early 2021. She said that when this cluster broke, she believed it could be a new disease. And so when the province said, we know that this is not a new disease because autopsies have been performed and each one of those people have a known disease. That was case closed. And as you can see from coverage, it's all dropped off. It was case closed to the media and largely to the public. They're like, okay, nothing to see here. But the concerns that researchers bring up in the emails that I reviewed, those never did go away. Yeah, I see what you mean. It's a flaw in the way that we think about things. They suggest we're looking at the possibility of a novel disease and we like fixate on that. Oh, is there a whole brand new disease? And then the conclusion is, no, we can say conclusively there is not one. Well, I guess the story is over. The first reference to a mystery illness or new disease that we actually hear from is from the chief medical officer in that press conference that I can find. A syndrome of unknown cause. And then that gets interpreted as mystery illness. What is the mystery illness? Sarah, how do you know all of this now? Last time what we published was a report that I think speculated that perhaps the government was not being truthful with the public. And maybe there was a cover-up. You are sounding a lot more certain now. The government has not been truthful, you're telling me. How do you know now what you did not know last time? What we were reporting on last time was largely leaks, anonymous sources coming forward. So they were all alleging that something, not even nefarious, but certainly underhanded was going on. And no one could really pinpoint why. We could only speculate. It just seemed fishy. But in the time since, I've gotten my hands on access to information and FIPA requests that meant the government, both at the provincial and federal level, had to hand over internal emails, presentations that would have been between researchers, meeting minutes, things that people had never seen before, thousands and thousands of pages. They really detail a story. And we got these through an intermediary, Blood Watch, which is an non-governmental organization that has been advocating for patients that have been suffering through this entire experience. So basically, you've got the back and forth between the scientists who are trying to figure this out. Like, like it's kind of like mm -hmm. the story of this mystery case, the story of the scientists trying to solve a mystery. Yeah, I got the back and forth, the thoughts that probably a lot of them never thought would be published or seen by anyone other than the person they were addressing. Yeah, we got them all. As you say, these documents tell a story. Can you tell me that story? Like, start at the beginning and tell me what happened? So it was in 2019 that a cluster of patients was referred to the federal surveillance system for a neurological disease called Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, or CJD. We talked about this last time, too. 
This is the human manifestation of mad cow disease and is a part of a family of diseases called prion diseases, which also include other things like chronic wasting disease, which you can get from deer or moose or elk. So these are what the surveillance system is meant to track. So in 2019, a whole bunch of patients were referred to this federal surveillance system. So we have this thing, this system permanently in place because of mad cow and diseases like it, that if there's an outbreak of these very serious neurological diseases that can be traced back to tainted meat, you want to know early, you want to identify it, you want to figure out where it's coming from. So at all times, we've got this federal surveillance system in place. And in late 2019, they get a knock on their door saying, we want you to look at these cases from New Brunswick. We want to know if these are prion diseases. Yeah. So throughout 2019, multiple patients were referred and it was a higher number than you'd expect or a higher number than researchers expected to see. Because there are always people being referred there, that's not necessarily uncommon, but it was that the number was so high that they were like, wait a minute, we got to look at this and see what's going on. And the surveillance system, while it is targeted at CJD, these prion diseases, it also is our first line of defense as a country against all neurological diseases, because if something out of the ordinary is happening, they'll be referred to the surveillance system, whether it's a prion disease or not. And we don't have anything else that's equivalent. So this is it. This is, this is what is standing in between a neurological syndrome of unknown cause happening without us knowing. And so throughout 2019, throughout 2020, they were working on theories of how this potential CJD outbreak was spreading. And their first theory was that it was actually an outbreak at the Moncton Hospital. They then were able to rule that out pretty quickly because they realized it was not a prion disease. The tests that they have are pretty definitive. And they said, no, this is not it, but something is going on. And in meeting minutes from January 2020, 30 specialists from the province and from the federal government are brought together And there was one line from the meeting minutes that really jumped out to me because it flies in the face of how the rest of the investigation went. It was emphasized that public concern is not driving this investigation. It is being driven by the concern raised by the infectious disease specialists, medical microbiologists, and neurologists. It sounds like what they're saying there is like, listen, we're not doing this because of public pressure. We're not doing this because of politics. We're doing this because we are microbiologists, neurologists, and infectious disease specialists, and we are worried. And motivated by science. Okay, so they rule out this is not in the mad cow family of diseases. Exactly. And so after that happens, two neurologists and two geriatricians write a letter to New Brunswick Public Health saying, okay, we've done these referrals, this disease has been ruled out, and we are collectively concerned that we don't know what's going on. But they also say... Over the past two years, we have encountered an unexpected increased number of cases of atypical, rapidly progressive dementia. So that letter is sent on September 9th, 2020. By September 30th, there's a meeting of the federal and provincial representatives of provincial health agencies, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. An investigation is warranted, and by December 2020, the formal cluster is designated, and 33 patients are grouped into this syndrome of unknown cause. We know that that number grew later. And things did go slowly in 2020, but I will remind everyone uh, what was going on in 2020. We were also facing a rather significant public health crisis of another nature. So things did move slowly through that year. Even though things were moving slower than you'd want, things were, from an outsider's perspective, they seemed to be going how you'd want them to be going. Like, This happened, the next line of defense was triggered, the next line of defense was triggered, and so on and so forth. And it seemed like everyone involved was really interested in actually conducting an investigation that would deliver answers as to what was going on. And I mean, there are some shortcomings that are obviously pointed out here, like a lot of emails go back and forth, but who's going to pay for this testing, et cetera, et cetera, on different fronts. There's a lack of central command structure for sure. And there's lots of confusion over what patient consent forms have been signed and how that works across jurisdictions. And there's a lot of basic technical problems. But those aside, things were going okay. I brought you to the end of 2020 where that cluster was designated, but the whole ballgame really seemed to take place early in 2021. Because early in 2021, 
you saw something really beautiful, actually, because you saw researchers of all levels coming together, pinging contacts across departments, across jurisdictions. External experts were being contacted. And so all of this was happening. And it was actually really beautiful because you just saw these scientific minds being like, what about this? Sharing articles. It's exactly what you would want to see. And then even at the provincial level, we saw some really dedicated effort to investigating this originally, at least public facing, because we saw them open the mind clinic. And that was meant to be the main referral center that was manned by the main neurologist on this file, Dr. Allier Marrero. And so it seemed really great up until the spring of 2021. It turns out that clinic was never actually given any resources. It was just a nice name, but that's kind of a side note. And the thing is about reading through these emails and reading through all of these researchers' hypotheses about what could be going on, they are gearing up for an investigation. And I mean, like an environmental toxin investigation, because there's no ambiguity in these documents. Researchers were focusing entirely on environmental causes and food. So even though CJD had been ruled out, they were looking at cervids, which is a fancy name for moose, elk, deer, etc., because of the original patients, 95% of those 30 patients said that they had eaten some kind of, you know, moose, elk, or deer meat. That sounds like maybe important information. So maybe even if it's not, okay, that we think it's going to be of the mad cow family of diseases. No, it's not. The testing is good and we've ruled it out. But you've still got the fact that 95% of them ate moose, elk, or deer. So there was that... And in that story we reported last year, we did talk about blue-green algae and the toxin that it produces. Does that ring any bells? Yeah, that rings like the one bell. Like often a story leaves me with one kind of mental image or term or perception. And your report, if I had been asked casually about it, I'd say, oh yeah, that New Brunswick story that possibly was caused by algae, like a toxin that accumulates in shellfish. That's what I remembered. Exactly. So when we first reported this story, all we knew was that external researchers to the federal government and provincial government thought that this might be something that was causing this cluster of disease. However, we didn't know how much credence federal and provincial researchers were giving this theory. Having read all of these emails and meeting minutes, I can tell you that toxins from blue-green algae otherwise known as cyanobacteria, absolutely was one of the leading theories that researchers at both levels of the government believed should be researched more fully. And the main reason that so many researchers were considering that these toxins from cyanobacteria should be further researched in this syndrome was because cyanobacteria toxins of different varieties can cause different diseases in different people. Uh-huh. So when we were told, oh, there is no mystery disease here, it's just a bunch of people with different illnesses, like, the, you know, the, this one person, they just have Parkinson's. That's that's not a mystery illness. We know what Parkinson's is. That could have originated from this toxin. It was at least an idea that researchers wanted to look into more, to see if toxins produced by cyanobacteria could be precipitating known diseases. But one thing I took away from reading these meeting minutes, which were meetings between the Public Health Agency of Canada representatives and representatives from the Canadian Institute for Health Research. What these researchers were talking about was that patients, even ones that had known diseases, were experiencing symptoms that didn't match up with how that disease would normally look. So in one of those autopsies conducted on one of the cluster patients, it was found that they had Lewy body dementia. So the provincial government said, look, see, this guy has Lewy body dementia, nothing to see here. But the two lead researchers at the federal level were pointing out that it's very atypical for someone with Lewy body dementia to die quickly. It's normally a long, drawn out disease that makes the person suffer. And this patient died very quickly and they couldn't explain that. And similar oddities were seen all across the cluster. It's how they ended up in the cluster in the first place. So an autopsy doesn't really lie, but researchers were looking for a cause that might explain why these diseases, even when they were identified, didn't look how they were supposed to. So they're like on the hunt for the killer and algae toxins, that's like prime suspect number one. Exactly. They're worried about water. They're worried about toxins. And when it comes to water, they're worried not only about people drinking it, but also recreating in it. So swimming or, you know, what have you. And so all of this research started to be accumulated at the provincial level, especially. 
And researchers were looking at how many times do they see these algal blooms in freshwater lakes across the province. And so they found all of these cases where they did have to close lakes because of blue-green algae. But it is not at this time common practice to actually test that blue-green algae to find out if it's producing harmful toxins. However, you did have a couple instances, three times out of all of those closures, that they actually bothered to test whether that blue-green algae was toxic. And in all three of those cases, they found that it was. The other thing that we know is that provincial researchers are increasingly worried about these blue-green algae blooms becoming more frequent as the climate changes and as things get warmer. Uh-huh. I reached out to every researcher in these documents. Not a single one of them got back to me. So I called up American researchers that were looking at this. I called a woman named Quay Dorch, and she's actually the head of research at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration in the States, or NOAA as we call it, looking at harmful algal blooms. And so what she said was that this is absolutely an area of research that is exploding around the world, but that a lot of these impacts are being felt faster than the science can be done. There is a lot more discussion about problems with cyanobacteria in many more regions, states that have small lakes and ponds where people do recreation, and the concern now of human exposure for swimming and things like that was not even discussed when I first started in this field. So in terms of research, first you have to get the money, and then you have to get the studies done, and you need enough studies to replicate. So 20 years is not a long time to really be sure. I mean, we're beginning to have a picture of it. For example, one of the issues that NOAA is concerned with is these toxins get into marine systems and we're discovering them in these freshwater toxins in shellfish. Is that a problem for human health? How many of the shellfish are contaminated? There are no standards right now. We don't know the human health impacts of that. And there's strong disagreements between people who say it might be a problem and the people who say it, it isn't a problem. And so NOAA has decided to fund a bunch of studies, which are now ongoing, looking at how widely the freshwater toxins are getting into shellfish. It, hopefully some other agency will look at the human health impacts of that. So the other thing she points out is the other concern that Canadian researchers arrived at was that these toxins aren't just in the water, but they can accumulate in shellfish. If shellfish are in contaminated waters, then they just build up all these toxins in their bodies. And then if they're eaten by humans, causes problems to the humans. And that was absolutely something that was identified by these researchers. In emails that I obtained and read, shellfish and water are flat out identified as the two leading theories for what's causing this cluster of illnesses. And that's by one of New Brunswick's own epidemiologists. And then I found emails that show a provincial public health official drawing attention to the known history of cyanobacteria or blue-green algae in the Moncton area. And that just happens to be where 70% of the patients are from. That sounds as promising a lead as anything. Uh, can you tell me a bit more about that? So yes, it was a public health official drew attention to the fact that for years, research had been going on in Moncton in the fact that blue-green algae blooms had been happening in all four of Moncton's reservoirs. You see the news stories all of the time, and yet for some reason, when we report about it in journalism, we talk about blue-green algae, you know, killing dogs and neglect the fact that this could have a harmful impact on humans. But the city of Moncton was not ignoring this because the municipality had been researching this since 2017, and the research has been taking place annually. One of the research summaries says, Massive harmful algal blooms were detected in 2017 at Turtle Creek, the drinking water supply for Moncton, Riverview, and Dieppe. In 2018, toxins were found in significant levels of all the reservoirs except the main one that feeds drinking water supply. In 2020, two of the main cyanobacteria of concern were present with cell counts, quote, higher than WHO recommendations, end quote. We even know that there was a provincial investigation into this exact issue, according to an email from the regional health officer for Moncton. He says there was an investigation that took place a few years ago. In the email, his summary of the investigation is actually redacted, but what is left of the email is that he says there are no formal reports that say what happened during that investigation. 
Sarah, why didn't you begin with this part? 70% of the patients are from Moncton, and in Moncton, the drinking water supply was found to have these toxins in them? I want to be very clear that I am not saying that Moncton's water supply is poisonous. What I am saying is that federal and provincial researchers really wanted to know if that actually played a role here. And what I'm saying is that we don't know if it did or not. It is worth noting, though, that it just so happens the same summer that all of these conversations are happening, the federal, provincial, and municipal government dumped $22 million into upgrades to the city's water supply system so that they could become capable of treating cyanobacteria in their water supply. And are they capable of treating that bacteria in their water supply? Not at this time, but that money is meant to go towards very specific research into its impacts and, yeah, to upgrade their system so that they can eventually treat for it. Eventually. Eventually. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars and I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day -day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Okay, so Sarah, the water supply in Moncton was an area of concern. No conclusions were reached and other things were looked at as well, even under this algae toxin category. Can we talk about shellfish? Yes. So shellfish was another thing that was identified as a concern and thing that they wanted to research further. So a lot of the research looked at, you know, mapping similar closures for shellfish uh, fishing along the coast of New Brunswick. And here it's worth noting that we actually don't have a lobster monitoring program in Canada. But what we do have is like a proxy. They monitor mussels and stuff. But it wouldn't be unheard of for specifically lobster to hold some of these toxins that we're talking about because they have found these toxins in lobster as far back as 2008. So it is something that we know exists. The primary concern around toxins in lobster is not actually in the lobster meat, but in the lobster tamale, which I don't eat lobster, but I hear it's the green goo inside the lobster and that like acts as the animal's liver. So it like collects and filters out all of that stuff for the animal, right? So it makes sense that in that goo, there's like toxins. Yeah, it's the part that I discarded as a kid that I now go right for as a grown-up. It's like a delicacy. You know what? They actually warn you against doing that. They say that's bad. <laughs> Duly noted. What we know is that from the surveys of the original patients in this cluster is that almost all of them ate lobster and about half of them ate lobster tamale. 
Okay, so this mystery story that you're following through this correspondence, it's narrowing down the culprits. We're looking at drinking water. We're looking at shellfish. We're still maybe looking at some animals. And a bunch of measures are suggested and money is going to be needed to do the testing to figure out which of these culprits is actually to blame. What happens next? So what I can tell you is from these documents, as all of these theories are coming out and all these areas for environmental testing are being pooled by the leading researchers at the province and at the federal government, they are coming up with plans for strategic environmental testing. And at that point, what the emails show is that they brought in the president of the Canadian Institute of Health Research, or CIHR. This guy was absolutely prepared to streamline funding for this project in two phases. They had a proposal ready to have $5 million go to the province of New Brunswick, according to these emails. And the first phase of funding would have gone towards studying the patients for the province of New Brunswick to go and, you know, test environmental factors around their home, do better patient workups, all of these things. And then the second phase would have involved researchers actually going out into the environment and starting to do things like water testing. Mm -hmm. We even have emails from New Brunswick's lead epidemiologist consulting with the head of the BC Center for Disease Control because they knew that the head of the BC CDC had all of this experience with field research. So all of that is happening and we're getting ready to like see the paperwork be submitted and get approval. But that all ended on May 6th. May 6th. Sarah, what happened on May 6th? On May 6th, 2021, all of the coordination between the province and the federal government stops. Something obviously happened, but the documents don't tell us what that is. They just demonstrate the fallout. So there had been all these weekly meetings between federal and provincial experts, and they're unceremoniously canceled, and they're canceled by the calendar event just being deleted by one of the researchers at the province of New Brunswick. And then there's like this afterthought follow-up email that comes that says the meetings are off until the provincial officials have time to really dig into the case files more. And this is where, for the first time, we hear any mention of this case file review that ended up closing down the entire investigation altogether. And what happened is that the province ended all coordination with the federal government. They also asked all federal agencies to stop doing any of the work that they were doing up to that point. And so that means, you know, all of this research funding was about to start flowing. The proposal was going in. It was $5 million. And they asked the Federal Health Research Institute to stop working on the file. So they're essentially turning away $5 million that was going to be given to them to get to the bottom of this. Yes. Obviously, this was met by a lot of confusion by representatives within the federal research agencies. It was noted that a general consensus on veracity of the data has not been established by New Brunswick. Another member raised that there have been challenges in establishing a productive and trusting relationship between New Brunswick and the federal agencies, end quote. That sounds like bureaucrat ease for we are not getting along anymore. The province and the federal government are in conflict here. It does sound that way, but I have to say that from reading all of the researchers' emails, at least, I don't get the slightest hint of that before May 6th. So if there's a breakdown in the relationship, it's not between the province's researchers and the federal government's researchers. It perhaps happened at the political level. It happened somewhere else. There was consensus that an environmental investigation needed to be pursued. Mm -hmm. And I think the general befuddlement of the federal researchers at that point was really illustrated by one back and forth that was between the province of New Brunswick's lead epidemiologist, Hanan Smadi, and one of the federal researchers who emailed Dr. Smadi and said, hey, it's Thursday, May 6th. We talked on Tuesday. What the heck is going on? Why are you canceling all of the meetings? And are all of the meetings canceled? Because there was all kinds of interdepartmental meetings that got canceled. Dr. Smadi answered via email and just said, quote, we have changed directions since last Tuesday. The only clue that we have are some unauthored, undated slides 
that make some factually incorrect statements that are kind of tied in to this time period in, in the documents. Like you see an email from May 6th and then there's like one of these slides. On the slide, it says, known cyanobacteria diseases are not supported by evidence. Do you know who the author of the slides was? We don't know who authored them. We do know that they were presented on slides that say the province of New Brunswick. That's the best clue we have. But we don't know who authored them. We don't know who was presenting to who. It's just the only clue we have is that they have these slides that say things that weren't based in science or reflective of the changing nature of the cluster. And then at the end of the slide, the last thing it says is that further analysis of food sources will be done after the enhanced surveillance questionnaire. That further analysis never happened. Sarah, it seems like all of the stop energy was coming from the province. Nothing to see here. We're taking over. We don't need this money. We're canceling the further meetings. The false information on the slide that was essentially debunking the whole toxin theory here, that all was coming from the province, correct? It was all coming from the province. Sarah, I don't think we know enough to ascribe motives, but we can talk about, like, consequences. And the consequence of the province's report in which they said, uh, hey, there's no we're conclusive, there's no mystery illness here, was that the story died. And whether there were only 48 patients, which was the number given before whatever happened on May 6th, or if this had grown, because the Guardian received documentation from an affiliated uh, private health organization that had the number at 150. I mean, if you stop looking and stop counting, you won't know if more people are affected by this. Mm-hmm. Were you able to get any insight into that? Is this still happening? Yeah, it is. And the reason I know that is because emails show that the province of New Brunswick cut off the cluster at 48. They said, this is the end. We are no longer admitting anyone to the cluster. We know that the Public Health Agency of Canada, before they were told to stop investigating, they stopped counting at 50. However, we know that the lead neurologist that was involved in all of this and ended up getting blackballed by the province of New Brunswick, unfairly, we know that he has continued his mission to find out what's going on in New Brunswick because I came across a letter that he wrote to Dr. Teresa Tam, as well as New Brunswick's chief medical officer, Jennifer Russell, He's reporting that he has seen over 100 referrals since the cluster closed, which would back up that number of 150 cases. The other thing that we know is backing this up is that the CJDSS, the Kreutzfeldt-Jakob Disease Surveillance System, that, you know, that safety net that we have to protect us from mad cow disease and other neurological syndromes. So we know that the CJDSS is seeing higher referrals from across Canada than they've ever had before. But when I asked the communications staff at the uh, Public Health Agency of Canada for the New Brunswick-specific numbers, they wouldn't give them to me. And when I asked to speak with the lead researcher on this file from the CJDSS, they said he was too busy. And I actually then looped him in on the email request to see if he could make time. And the communications staff then took him out of the email chain again and said, quote, as mentioned, Dr. Colehart does not have availability for an interview at this time, end quote. And so they gave me this boilerplate communications jargon comment that said uh, the entirety of the investigation was under the jurisdiction of New Brunswick and, quote, PHAC continues to work closely with the provinces and territories, partners and stakeholders to monitor and understand risks to human health from neurological diseases and will build on any lessons learned from this investigation. Whatever that means. And the federal minister of health, I also sent requests into him to speak about this investigation or lack thereof. And he deferred all requests to the PHAC. The provincial ministers in New Brunswick never even answered any of my requests. And yet we know that the number of patients is still growing. And so we know that this is still happening. The other thing I found in the emails was that Dr. Allier Marrero, this neurologist who is like continuously searched for the answers for this. I know that he's still running tests on the patients who have chosen to follow him because the province of New Brunswick did kick him out of that clinic they set up for him. But the majority of the patients followed him. And at some point in the investigation, there's nurses 
who email back and forth and they go, who's ordering toxicology reports on these patients? Because it wasn't in part of their investigation. So they were like, who's doing this? And they concluded that it was probably Marrero who was still ordering tests. But that report that came out last February shut down any concerted investigation. So what we know is that still today, patients are coming forward and being referred, but we're no closer today to understanding what's happening to them. Sir, thank you. Thanks, Jesse. That's your Canada Land. Look, if you value this podcast, please support it. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. I know it's a weird idea. Thousands of people are doing it. It's what keeps the lights on here. And as a supporter, you'll get premium access to all of our shows ad-free. You'll get early releases. You'll get bonus content. You'll get our exclusive newsletter. You'll get invites and tickets to our live events, our virtual events. Lots of good stuff, but more than anything, you will be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. You'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody and on the public record. Come join us now. Click the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read everything you send. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is CanadaLand.com, where you'll find written versions of a lot of our reporting. It's a great resource if you want to dig into the things you heard today. This episode was reported by Sarah Larniuk. Tristan Capicione is our audio editor and technical producer. Our managing editor is Annette Ajorfor. I am your host, Jesse Brown. Our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. You can listen to Canada Land ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.